Hello and welcome to the September edition of the Amy and Flo Talking Magazine show. I'm Amy and with me in the studio today is my mum Florence. Hello everybody. First day of autumn, uh, well the metrological autumn. The, uh, the other autumns depend on the phases of the moon and mm. that but this is the metrological one and I gotta say it's the most beautiful day for the first day of autumn. Although when, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have know that it's autumn, the number of leaves that have fallen off the trees in, um, in the street out the front of where I live, it looks like autumn. It does, it does. And it has that funny smell in the morning that comes with yes, autumn. Yes, and it's darker in the mornings and gets darker earlier at night. Well, so that's, that's the way it is. I have to say, I love autumn so i am not at all sorry to see it coming yeah it was it was a long hard summer i think it's fair to say between covid and mm -hmm. lockdowns in northern ireland yes it was, it was a hard <sighs> summer it was uh, i am looking forward to autumn and the arrival of proper proper chilly weather and dark nights okay maybe it'll kill off all the bugs <laughs> Well, Amy, what about a quiz for autumn, September 2021? What have you got to it's test not me with this It's time? actually not an autumn quiz. It is actually a quiz about, I don't know what you would say, words. Okay, I like okay, words. Okay, words. You like words. I well, do. Then, let's see how you get on with the first <laughs> question. Okay. What name is given to words that help aid memory? In other words, a sentence that helps you remember the order of certain things mm -hmm. or events of certain things. Yep. Okay. Is it A, palindromes, B, mnemonics, or C, acronyms? Mm-hmm. Okay. The name that is given to words as an aid to memory that will help you remember an order of events or certain things, A, palindromes, B, mnemonics, or C, acronyms. Okay? Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. And now to test some of those memory tools and to see if you were paying attention to our last podcast. Oh. <laughs> what order of events does the following sentence illustrate? My very educated mother just served us noodles. Oh. Is it A, the order of the planets, B, the order of the periodic table, or C, the Great Lakes of USA. Ah, ha, ha. If you were listening to last month's podcast, you would know what this meant. An aid to memory, my very educated mother just served us noodles. A, the order of the planets, B, the order of the periodic table, or C, the Great Lakes. Okay? Mm-hmm. What does the following sentence represent? Richard of York goes battling in vain. Mm-hmm. Is it A, the colours of the rainbow, B, the primary and secondary colours, or C, the order of English and British royal houses or dynasties? Okay. Richard of York goes battling in vain is A, a way to help you remember the colours of the rainbow, 
The primary and secondary colours are the order of English and British royal houses or dynasties. How are you doing so far? I think I'm doing pretty good so far. Okay. If I dare say so. I'm about to wallop you there because oh, yes. I can't possibly Just have you getting five out of five. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Will a jolly man make a jolly visitor? Is an aid to memorising what? A. The first eight presidents of the United States. B. The first eight articles of the Constitution. Or C. The first eight major baseball teams in the USA. <laughs> will a jolly man make a jolly visitor? Which will that help you remember? The first eight presidents of the USA. The first eight articles of the Constitution are the first eight major baseball teams in the USA. Okay, well, <laughs> that's a daisy, that one. Yeah, oh, that's nasty. The, the people in uh, in America will know that right away. Uh, yes, they may, they may <laughs> well do. Our listeners in America will they know They may that well way. do. Okay. Um, your District of Columbia your, and Your co-presenter in Belfast may struggle a little more <laughs> with that one. Last one. I bet you won't know this one either. Okay. May I have a large container of coffee? Question mark. Is the way to remember what? A, the order of British prime, prime, of prime numbers, I beg your pardon. B, the values of algebra. Or B, a C, the value of pi. May I have a large container of coffee? Question mark. Is the way to remember A, the order of prime numbers, B, the values in algebra, or C, the value of pi? I am just jotting down those letters to see if I can figure out what it might mean. It's a bit like Only Connect, <laughs> one of those shows that you haven't a clue. Yes. And you think, how do those people get those answers? Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> okay, think about it. So, um, I find this story on um, that wee website that I like, whose name I have just completely forgotten, but I will look it up again whilst, whilst we finish the show. And I couldn't resist the story. It's apropos to nothing and really doesn't relate to, I'm pretty sure it relates to almost nothing that you're going to talk about, Mum. <laughs> okay. It's possible. I could do it and then you turn around and go, oh. I've got a story about hermits, but I doubt it. So, why hermits used to roam lavish Victorian gardens, it's called. Garden gnomes are a common sight on properties today, but before there were gnomes, there were hermits. But in the 18th and 19th century, those who could afford it would employ a man to dress as a druid and live a strict lifestyle. But what purpose did it serve to have a hermit on your land? What were they supposed to do? Various historians, including Professor Gordon Campbell from the University of Leicester, have researched the matter to find out why having a hermit was the height of society. I know what I want for Christmas. <laughs> it has always been the case that the rich are constantly searching for ways to display their wealth and impress guests. Many people with grand houses and rambling estates would put a lot of money into their formal gardens, while lakes and orchids, 
orchards, rose borders and elaborate fountains were all well and good, some of the gentry decided that their garden needed something to make it really stand out. For most of us in such a situation, our mind would not normally leap immediately to the idea of having a man living in solitude on our grounds for seven years. But to understand why this idea appealed to the elite, it's necessary to appreciate what a hermit represented to society in the 18th century. Gardens have always been seen as places of peace and relaxation, and that became even more important as industrialisation spread across Britain. As the tasting gardens moved from formal features like boxed hedges and geometric paths to more rustic and romantic rambling settings, landscapers started including follies or hermitage made of bricks or stone. Initially, no one lived in them. The inside was decorated in a pleasing manner and a table with glasses and a book of great literature hinted that this was the sort of place where a man of quiet reflection might live. The purpose of the feature was to emphasise the importance of solitude and melancholy, mm -hmm. both of which were considered romantic or even part of being a genius. Alternatively, hermits could be seen as living in man's natural state, closer to nature and God. Eventually, estate owners who wanted to go one step better advertised to pe for people to actually come and live in their hermitage. Gordon Campbell, a professor of Renaissance studies, wrote The Hermit in the Garden, From Imperial Rome to Ornamental Gnome. The book reprints some advertisements seeking hermits. Would you apply for this? The hermit is never to leave the place or hold conversation with anyone for seven years, during which he is neither to wash himself or cleanse himself in any way whatever, but is to let his hair and nails, both on his hands and feet, grow as long as nature will permit them. Oh, fancy that job? No. What about this one? Another ad by Charles Hamilton, uncovered by the website allthatsinteresting.com, goes as follows. He shall be provided with a Bible, optical glasses, a mat for his feet, a hassock for his pillow, an hourglass for a timepiece, water for his beverage and food for the house. He must wear a camlet robe and never, under any circumstances, must he cut his hair, beard, nails, stray beyond the limits of Mr Hamilton's grounds or exchange one word with the servants. <sighs> Some landowners insisted that their hermits did not interact at all with either servants or visitors. They were to be purely ornamental. However, other hermits were encouraged to speak to those who approached them and to offer nuggets of wisdom. In a 1784 guide to Hawkstone Park, Shropshire, which belonged to Sir Richard Hill, it includes a description of how visitors might interact with the hermit. You pull a bell, gain admittance. The hermit is generally in a sitting posture with a table before him, on which is a skull, the emblem of mortality, an hourglass, a book and a pair of spectacles. The venerable barefooted father, whose name is Francis, if, <laughs> if awake, always rises up at the approach of strangers, 
He seems about 90 years of age, yet has all the sense has all his sense of admiration. He is tolerably conversant and far from being impolite. So very good hermit, <laughs> member, of, member of hermit staff there. Not satisfied with the hermit being there to dispense wisdom, there have been records of some hermits who were required to dispense alcohol too by serving guests uh, drinks at dinner parties or possibly reciting poetry. Other hermits might have been required to help out in the garden. So what was in it for the hermit? The hermit would bring prestige to the landowner and in return he would get a stipend as well as food and board for doing little more than sitting around all day and interacting with guests or merely being something for them to look at depending on the instructions of the landowner. Charles Philip Thickness became a hermit near Bath later in his life. When asked why he chose such a lifestyle, he replied that he had obtained that which every man aims for but few acquire, solitude and retirement. That's, okay. yeah, there's something to be said for that. However, the living conditions for hermits were strict. The adverts indicate that there was an accepted appearance for hermits and that personal hygiene was not part of the deal. With the standard contract being seven years long, some men find that either the isolation or the lack of washing got too much. However, allthingsinteresting.com states that hermitage contracts ensured that any hermit who left his post before the seven years was up would not get paid. Oof. Sources suggest that one her hermit in Payne's Hill Park in Surrey only lasted three weeks before the solitude got too much for him and he was found at the local pub. <laughs> Sensible hermit. He was sacked immediately. The accommodation offered to a hermit could range from a cave to his own miniature house. Father Francis of Hawkstone Park lived in a dwelling consisting of stone walls, a heather thatched roof and a stable door. In a strange parallel to the Paynes Hill Park incident, Father Francis proved so popular with visitors that the family had to build the Hawkstone Arms pub to offer accommodation and food to all the people that came to see him. Wow. <laughs> the households that couldn't afford a hermit had a sneaky workaround. They would build a hermitage on their grounds and then leave the folly in a manner that suggested either a hermit was just about to arrive and take up residence <laughs> or that... <laughs> One had just left, popped out, you know. <laughs> to the pub. To the pub or, or the, <laughs> man, the manicurist. <laughs> this would afford them the prestige without the hassle of having another mouth to feed. Gradually, live-in hermits fell out of fashion sometime after 1810, and even the famous Father Francis was gone. In his place, the family installed an automaton dressed as a hermit. A hermit. <laughs> A hermit robot. <laughs> Even though the device moved and spoke, later visitors were not impressed, although one visitor did suggest that the family had done it as a move against slavery. While the fad for hermits might have died out, Professor Campbell has a theory as to what came next. The garden hermit evolved from the antiquarian druid and eventually declined into the garden gnome. 
<laughs> so the next time you see a gnome in sometimes garden, remember that it could have been a hermit. <laughs> How would you like to have been served drinks by somebody <laughs> with nails two oh, foot long, fluffy hair and smelling at the oh, high heavens? Seven, I mean, would you have wanted to accept the drink that he was serving? Seven years of oh. grubby hermit nails. My no. Is there anything like my nails that'd be bust after two weeks? Probably, no probably a hermit <laughs> wasn't allowed to chew their nails. <laughs> well, that, by the sound of it, that might all they had to eat. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't sound like they were treated too good, Amy. <laughs> well, so, once, so, hang on, Mum. Is, yeah. is this where you pull out a story from about one of the local newspapers about a, a no, hermit? But I do have one about a witch, but this oh, is okay. a debt. Okay. I thought I would read this one because this guy would have been better off being a hermit. At least dirty enough for it, I think. Uh, PSNI investigating a report of a test site in decent behaviour. This really disgusts me, this guy. The PSNI is investigating a report of indecent behaviour at a COVID-19 testing site in West Belfast. The investigation was launched following the circulation of a Snapchat video which showed a male agency worker filming himself urinating into a soap dispenser at the site which is John Paul II Primary School on the White Rock Road. Oh. The video shows the bottle filled with urine. Serco, the company, awarded the contract to conduct test and trace services across the UK, branded the incident disgusting. George McFarlane, head of operations of Serco, said this behaviour by an agency employee working at a test site that we run is disgusting and completely unacceptable and we are very sorry that it happened. As soon as the school reopened after the weekend, we informed them and notified the police, he said. We have asked the agency to remove the individual and he will not be working on the test programme again. A source told the Mail Online, which first reported the incident, that the soap dispenser had been left in the bathroom for staff to find the next day. I think it's disgusting. My main issue is it was the school soap dispenser, not ours. So it would have been left in the school where classes are starting this week and so potentially used by children there. It's horrible. A PSNI spokesman said on Monday afternoon, police received a report of indecent behaviour by a male at a COVID-19 testing site in the White Rock Road area of Belfast. Inquiries are continuing, he said. A Department of Health spokesperson said this appalling behaviour is totally unacceptable and it will not be tolerated. This individual has now been permanently removed from NHS test and trace and police service of Northern Ireland have been notified. We are reviewing the circumstances that led to this incident with our service provider and will take all necessary steps to ensure this does not happen again. So there's hermits that have been told to be dirty and then there's people who are just disgusting, isn't that right? That is, that is That's absolutely horrible. 
nasty, vile, vile person. And I mean, I know lots of people. My uh, my great niece was to go to the test centre uh, before she takes on an operation just a couple of days ago, and it could have been somebody um, like her, and she's a yuck. young baby. I don't know. But anyway, something slightly nicer. A well-preserved skeleton, and it's not a hermit, suggests Greek culture was present in Pompeii. Archaeologists in the ancient city of Pompeii have discovered a remarkably well-preserved skeleton during excavations of a tomb. They also shed light on the cultural life of the city before it was destroyed by volcanic eruption in AD 79. White hair and part of an ear along with bones and fabric fragments were found in the tomb in the necropolis of Porta Sarno, an area not yet open to the public that is located in the east of Pompeii's urban centre. The discovery is unusual since most adults were cremated at the time. An inscription on the tomb suggests that its owner, Marcus Venerius Secolondo, helped organise performances in Greek in Pompeii. Experts say it was the first confirmation that Greek was used alongside Latin. That performances in Greek were organised as evidence of the lively and the open cultural climate which characterised ancient Pompeii, the director of Archaeological Park of Pompeii, Gabriel Sukarigiel, said in a statement announcing the discovery. The eruption of Mount Vesuvius in AD 79 destroyed Pompeii and excavations over the years have yielded remarkable discoveries of tombs, chariots and brilliantly frescoed homes. Wow. So that's absolutely fantastic, yeah. doesn't it? Wow. It's amazing. But to go to the witchy story, oh, yes, and please. then I'll let you take over. Mm -hmm. Sleuthing students lead efforts to pardon a wrongly convicted witch. More than three centuries after a woman in the US was wrongly convicted of witchcraft and sentenced to death, she is finally on the verge of being exonerated thanks to a class of curious school pupils. State Senator Diana D. Soglogio, a Democrat from Methuen, Massachusetts, has introduced legislation to clear the name of Elizabeth Johnson, Jr., who was condemned in 1693 at the height of the Salem Witch Trials, but she was never executed. Miss De Zugalo said she was inspired by sleuthing done by a group of 13 and 14 year olds at the North Andover Middle School. Civics teacher Carrie Le Perret's students painstakingly researched Johnson and the steps that would be needed to be taken to make sure she was formally pardoned. It is important that we work to correct history, Miss De Zugalo said. We will never be able to change what happened to these victims, but at the very least we can set the record straight. If legislators approve the measure, Johnson will be the last accused witch to be cleared according to Witches of Massachusetts Bay, a group devoted to the history and the lore of the 17th century witch hunts. Twenty people from Salem and neighbouring towns were killed and hundreds of others accused during a frenzy of Puritan injustice that began in 1692, stoked by superstition, fear of disease and strangers, scapegoating and petty jealousies. 
19 were hanged and one man was crushed to death by rocks. In the 328 years that have ensued, dozens of suspects were officially cleared, including Johnson's own mother, the daughter of the minister whose conviction was eventually reversed. But for some reason, Johnson's name was not included in various legislative attempts to set the record straight. Johnson was 22 when she was caught up in the hysteria of the witch trials and sentenced to hang. It never happened. Then Governor William Phipps threw out her punishment as the magnitude of the gross miscarriages of justice in Salem began to sink in. But because she was not among those whose convictions were formally set aside, hers still technically stands. Her bill would tweak 1957 legislation amended in 2001 to include Johnson among others who were pardoned after being wrongly accused and convicted of witchcraft. Wow. What uh, an interesting project yeah, for that school, that though. That school was not yeah. brilliant. And good. What a great what project. clever idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good for those That would be a good one to work on. It would be. Here is a story from Guardian Experience, which um, specialises in people who do things that are remarkable or, um, or dramatic or just plain strange or careless or foolish. This one is called... And I leave it up to you to decide how to categorise this one. I accidentally bought a derelict house. <laughs> um, my girlfriend says this is um, as told by Michael Segalov of The Guardian exp- uh, to him. It says, my girlfriend Claire and I had both been to Scotland just once before. Me as a kid, Claire, for a medical school interview. I'm English. She's Canadian. We met in the French Alps in 2016 quickly grew close, travelled around Europe, then we got it into our heads that we should move to Glasgow. The way you do. Wanting a project, we looked at auction listings and found an apartment in Pollock Shields, Southside. It needed some love, but the starting price was only £10,000. Before deciding to bid, I'd spent a few nights sleeping in my van across from the street from it, and I liked it. With Claire away, I ventured to the sale alone. It was my first time at a property auction. I took my seat and waited patiently. The problem was auctioneers speak fast and this one had a strong Glaswegian accent. I was really struggling to follow. Thankfully, a brochure on my seat contained the details for every lot while a screen behind the stage displayed its corresponding number. I ticked off each sale in my copy as we went counting down. When our listing was next in the book, I prepared for a bidding war to erupt. Our limit was 40 grand, so I expected winning to be a struggle. When our property came up, something was glitching with the screen. I hoped other would-be buyers might miss their moment. As things commenced, nobody else bid. I assumed people were tactically waiting. Here goes, I thought, as I raised my hand. 10,000? You, sir. Yes, I couldn't believe it when nobody tried to beat my opening offer. Then a few things happened all at once. The gavel fell, the screen switched on, and the bloke next to me asked in my ear, mate, have you seen that place? (laughs) 
I looked up and was filled with dread. The number on the page in front of me and the one on the screen were definitely not matching. Someone had mentioned a few last minute additions to the sale that hadn't been in the booklet and the penny dropped. What had I bought? It had been the penultimate property, so I sat anxiously and waited. The last one was the one we had meant to buy, and it went for £87,000. So Auction over. I disappeared as quickly as I could to buy us some time before anyone could take my money. With low battery, I desperately tried to text Claire. I bought something, but I don't know what. Sorry. <laughs> could you have a look at it? And then my phone died. When I finally spoke to Claire, she seemed unfazed. She'd looked at the place on Google Maps, although with all the hedges, you could see you could only see one angle. Dunoon wasn't Glasgow, but it didn't look that far. And ten grand for a place to call home, how bad could that be? That was before we'd seen a single picture. I called the auctioneers and confirmed we'd go ahead with the purchase. That's lucky. They said, you have no choice. In Scotland, auction bids are legally binding. I drove up to Dunoon to check it out. It looked close to Glasgow on a map, but I hadn't noticed the ferry you have to take to get there. I was excited at first, but then saw what we'd bought and thought, oh, Jesus. Behind the overgrown bushes and a sign that read, danger, keep out, was this crumbling, rotting mess. There was mouldy furniture, graffiti on the walls, the ceilings were falling down, abandoned for 20 years, the water and electric had been switched off, the chair had even fallen through the floorboards. To make things worse, it emerged we'd bought only half the building. So we spent the next six months buying up the other two derelict units. But it was a beautiful location and it was too late to turn back. By March 2019, we had the whole place. Since then, Claire and I have been working on our new home full time, living in a caravan in the garden. It's hard work, but we've both learned lots. Taking on so much has helped us grow as people. We've taught ourselves everything from masonry to computer-aided design software, plumbing and electrics. We set up an Instagram so Claire's family could keep up to date. While Dunoon isn't quite Glasgow city centre, we love it. The neighbours have welcomed us with open arms, stopping by with soup and lending us tools. It's a special place. If you're going to accidentally buy a house, you couldn't do it somewhere better. Given the chance to go back to that auction, I'd put my hand up for this Good house. No you see, I reckon that's fate. Meant to be. That's meant to be. That was fate. You wouldn't have even got the site for £10,000 any time later. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I did buy a house for £11,000 <laughs> uh, during the Troubles in Belfast and I still have it. <laughs> well, I still have that. He, he bought his in 2016, so there's <laughs> well, not really an excuse. Yeah. Well, 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 still, I wouldn't like to be trying to buy that, that house now. No, <laughs> true. That I bought. I still own it. <laughs> well, Amy, I, I know you, you always buy a real Christmas tree, don't you? I do. And a lot of people have been going, oh, no, you're not talking about Christmas already. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it actually relates to this uh, next thing I'm going to read. A man jailed after growing a cannabis Christmas tree. Oh. So are you going to grow one of those in a real cannabis Christmas tree? <laughs> a man who boasted on Snapchat, not a good idea, about growing a cannabis Christmas tree in his attic has been jailed for 10 months. Robert Crosby, 46, was caught growing the drug in his Irish street home in Downpatrick in January in 2018. A native of Manchester with 12 aliases, he absconded after being charged with drug offences. A warrant was issued and he was returned to Northern Ireland after being arrested in England on a non-related matter in May. Crosby was sentenced for the January 2018 offences at Downpatrick Crown Court. During sentencing, it emerged that Crosby has completed the first uh, module of a law degree and he intends to resume his studies when he is released from custody. Uh -huh. Crosby's home was searched by police in January the 15th in 2018 and officers discovered just under a kilo of cannabis. The attic had been divided by insulation sheets into three separate areas, two of which had heat lamps suspended from the ceiling. Cannabis stalks, plants, pots and other growing equipment were also present. Just over 26 grams of cocaine were found on a TV stand and several bags of cannabis were also seized. When arrested, Crosby said, I only have that stuff for myself. I don't deal the kids or anything. The only reason I have it in bags is so that I can swap it for cocaine. <laughs> when his phone was examined, police found a Snapchat conversation where Crosby showed an enormous cannabis plant growing in his attic, which he described as a cannabis Christmas tree. A video on the phone taken a few weeks later shows Crosby cutting the plant down. He can be plainly heard in the footage complaining about the work involved and says, I'm going to be here for hours, mate. <laughs> <laughs> During the interview, he admitted both possessing and cultivating cannabis oh. and possessing cocaine. Addressing Crosby's personal circumstances, Judge Jeffrey Miller described his childhood as complex and difficult. Maybe never had a real Christmas tree, which led to addiction and criminality. Crosby moved from Manchester to Belfast in 2015 to break away from offending and drug taking and was managing to avoid both until he moved to Downpatrick, where he relapsed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what that uh -huh. says about Downpatrick, folks. Yeah. He later told a probation officer that after his arrest in January 2018, he fled back to England following threats from paramilitaries. Judge Miller imposed a 10-month jail term with a further 10 months on licence. The judge said Crosby uh, should take part in a drug rehabilitation programme while on licence. Alternatively, he could take up gardening. Uh, alternatively, real Christmas trees. he could take up being a hermit <laughs> and do us all a favour. <laughs> okay, Amy, what have we got now? One criminal to another, I think. Did we have? A um, master criminal. You know that we're all going to get this, um, is it 100 points we're going to get from the executive as a bonus to Something spend? Like vouchers. Uh, vouchers to spend um, our, our bonus for putting up with the year that it's been. 
we're all going to get £100. I was wondering what I would spend mine on. And then I saw this article about Al Capone's personal effects coming up at auction. Al Capone's granddaughters are selling the famed mobster's personal effects at auction. The 174 items, which include a personal letter written to his son and his sweetheart, .45 Colt Automatic, are set to net between $381,000 and $713,000. The auction will be hosted by Witherill's luxury asset auctioneers and appraisers in Sacramento, California. The collection, titled A Century of Notoriety, The Estate of Al Capone, features items that have never been outside the family's possession. The auction house believes the sale will go down in history as one of the most important celebrity auctions. According to Capone's granddaughter Diane, the items were passed down to her father. Sonny passed away in 2004, leaving the collection to his daughters. They are selling his estate with the intention of setting the record straight on their grandfather. What people don't know is his personal story as a father and a grandfather and his painful path of redemption while at Alcatraz, said Diane. This is the unknown Capone I talk about in my book, Al Capone, Stories My Grandmother Told Me, and it's the story that comes to life with these family treasures. Another reason they're seeking to sell the items is to keep them from going up in flames in California's wildfires. According to Diane, she and her siblings would have no way of saving them if they needed to evacuate. So better just sell them oh, the, for uh, yeah, 713000 yeah. just for sure. Yep. The items for sale include furniture from Capone's Palm Island mansion, family photos, oil paintings, statues and pieces of jewellery. Amongst those anticipated effects the most include his favourite sweetheart, 0.45 cold automatic, which could sell for up to $150,000. The item garnering the most attention is a letter Capone wrote to his son while he was imprisoned in Alcatraz. It offers a glimpse into how he interacted with his family and is estimated to fetch between twenty-five dollars and $50,000. If you think you know Al Capone, once you've read the letter, it will change your notion of him. He's a loving father to a loving son, said Brian Witherell, CEO of the auction house. Over and over and over again, he refers to my dad as son of my heart. And that's not the language or the words of a man who is hard-hearted, added Diane. Those are the words of a man that is very devoted. And that is the part of the story we wanted to tell. Al Capone was one of the most feared figures in Chicago's organised crime scene during the Prohibition era. The boss of the Chicago outfit, he was active in bootlegging and loan sharking. While involved in the 1929 St Valentine's Day massacre, which saw the deaths of seven rival gang members, he was jailed for tax evasion in 1931. The conviction landed him in Alcatraz. The auction is scheduled to occur on October the 8th, 2021, at Sutter Club in downtown Sacramento, if you're thinking of going a bidding. It will be by invite and by lottery to limit those in attendance to just 200 individuals. Those unable to attend can place bids over the phone 
or online. I don't think my um, my bonus voucher is, will buy a catalog. It's not going to go too far. Just the catalog yep. for the auction, Amy. I'm afraid, and that's it. Yep. You may just buy a real Christmas tree with your hundred pound <laughs> voucher. Preferably not a cannabis one, okay? <laughs> Far too much work involved. <laughs> now uh, we have a new listener. Our listeners, I don't know how many, in the Lombardy uh, district of Italy. Yes. Which is, is the sounds, Milano. It's the it district sounds of very glamorous. Uh, fashionable people. So thank you very much if you're that person or persons listening in mm. Lombardy. Always lovely to get new listeners. And uh, this actually crosses two uh, fields here because this is a story concerning America where we're always getting new mm -hmm. people in America. And this is and Italy. And it says, American GI's tearful reunion, 77 years old. So this is a good, good nice story. An American soldier has been reunited with three Italians he is credited with saving during the Second World War when they were young children. For more than seven decades, Martin Adler treasured a black and white photo of himself as a young American soldier with a broad smile with three impeccably dressed Italian children that he met as the Nazis retreated northwards in 1944. On Monday, the 97-year-old Second World War veteran met the three siblings, now octogenarians themselves, in person for the first time since the war. Mr Adler held out his hand to grasp those of Bruno Malvada and Giuliana Naldi for the joyful reunion at Bolongas Airport after a 20-hour journey from Broca Raton in Florida. Then, just as he did as a 20-year-old soldier in the village of Monte Rosanio, he handed out bars of American chocolate. <laughs> Look at my smile, Mr. Alder said, of a long-awaited in-person reunion made possible by the reach of social media. It was a happy ending to a story that could easily have been a tragedy. The very first time the soldier and the children saw each other in 1944, the three faces peeked out of a huge wicker basket where their mother had hidden them as soldiers approached. Mr Adler thought the house was empty, so he trained his machine gun on the basket when he heard a sound, thinking a German soldier was hiding inside. The mother, Mama, came out and stood right in front of my gun to stop me from shooting, Mr Adler recalled. She put her stomach right against my gun, yelling, Bambinas, 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 pounding my chest away. There was a real hero, the mother, not me. The mother was the real hero. Can you imagine standing yourself in front of a gun and screaming, children, no, no, he said. Mr Adler still trembles when he remembers that he was only seconds away from opening fire on the basket. And after all these decades, he still suffers nightmares from the war, said his daughter, Rachel uh, Dunley. The children aged three to six when they met 
were a happy memory. His company stayed on in the village for a while and he would come by and play with them. Gilulandi and Nadi, the young, youngest of the only one of the three with any recollection of the event, she recalls climbing out of the basket and seeing Mr Adler and another US soldier who has since died. They were laughing, she said. They were happy that they hadn't shot anyone. She, on the other hand, did not quite comprehend the close call. We weren't afraid or anything, she said. She also remembers the soldier's chocolate. We ate so much of that chocolate, she laughed. Miss Dunley decided during the COVID-19 lockdown to use social media to try to track down the children in the old black and white photo, starting with the veterans group in North America. Eventually, the photo was spotted by an Italian journalist, Matteo Inserti, who had written books on the Second World War. He was able to track down Mr Adler's regiment and where it had been stationed from a small detail in another photograph. The smiling photo was then published in local newspapers leading to the discovery of the identities of the tr three children who by then were grandparents themselves. They shared a video uh, reunion in December and waited until the easing of pandemic travel rules made the transatlantic trip possible. I am so happy and so proud of him because things could have been so different in just a second. Because he hesitated, there have been generations of people, Miss Dunley said. The serendipity is not lost and Gilliandi, Naldi's 30-year-old granddaughter, Roberta Fontana, one of the six children, eight grandchildren and two great-grandchildren who descended from the three children who were hidden in that wicker basket. Knowing that Martin could have shot and that none of my family would exist is something very big, she said. It's very emotional. During his stay in Italy, Mr Alder will spend some time in the village where he was stationed before travelling on to Florence, Naples and Rome where he hopes to meet Pope Francis. My dad really wants to meet the Pope, Miss Dunlany said. He wants to share his message of peace and love. My dad is all about peace. Isn't that That's lovely, lovely story? Um, there's a picture of him in this report, um, 97 years old, being kissed by one of the, the 77. guards. 77. He's 77. Oh, he's 77. 77 years old. Sorry, oh, you're right. Yeah, no, he's 97. He's 77 years old. Oh, and he old. looks so happy getting that big kiss so from one of they. the kids. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what a lovely story. story. That just shows you could have happened so easily during the war. Well, Amy, after all those nice, good uh, luck stories, uh -huh. good stories, are you fancy on having to tackle the quiz? I, I am. I'm feeling good about half the quiz, at least. Okay. Okay, here we go. What name is given to words that help aid memory? In other words, a sentence that helps you remember the order of certain things or events. Is it A, palindromes, B, mnemonics, or C, acronyms? Um, that is, I believe, a mnemonic. Exactly right. Answer B. Mnemonic is the name for a memory aid. It may be words or a sentence that helps one to remember a sequence of events or an order of things. It comes from the Greek word palin, meaning again, and to run, draw. A palindrome is a word or sentence that reads the same backwards as forwards. 
Can you think of one? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. Well, short one like mum. Anyway, oh, yes. Mum. Yeah, okay. Or civic. Yeah. C-I-B-I-C is yeah. the same. Or a sentence. Now, this is good. Like, never, odd, or even. Reads exactly uh, the same backwards and forwards. Never, odd, or even. And an acronym is a word or a name formed from using the initials of a longer name or phrase such as NATO. NATO. And language authorities like dictionaries dispute that the term should be used as they're not actually pronounced as words and are also objecting to the letter casing, the spacing and the punctuation <laughs> of acronyms. So there's always somebody, um, isn't there? Doesn't have... Doesn't have anything going for it. At all. Accord, no. According to the dictionaries no. and language authorities. No, according to uh, even in my organisation, we love an acronym. <laughs> well, the organisation loves an acronym, and the rest of us hate all the acronyms. What are they talking about? Uh, and there's so many of them now. Question two, and now to test some of those memory tools, were you listening to our last podcast? What order of events does the following sentence illustrate? My very educated mother just served us noodles. Is it A, the order of the planets, B, the order of the periodic table, or C, the Great Lakes of USA? Well, I was really relieved when you had three options for me to, to get there because if you'd left it and asked me, I remember you telling me this, but I couldn't for the life of me remember what it was until you give me the options. So it's the order of the planets. That's right. Answer A. It's the order of the planets from the sun. My is Mercury. Very is Venus. Educated is Mother. Our Earth, Mother is Mars, Just is Jupiter, Served is Saturn, Us is Uranus, and Noodles is Neptune. Okay? The Great Lakes are memorised as... Ah, you just read out the answer. <laughs> no, this is the answer. Oh, oh yes, sorry, sir. I thought that was going to be connected at all. No, no, sorry, I thought that no, was... No, 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 my mistake. no, 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 no. Right, Please, yeah. carry on. <laughs> <laughs> the Great Lakes are memorised as Superman helps everyone. Now, it's not all one word. Super, comma, man uh, yeah. helps everyone. And that reads as Lake Superior, Michigan, Huron, Erie and Ontario. Yeah. And the periodic table, it's more complicated as well. Still yeah. has to memorise the table, apparently. But there's a popular song called We Just Crammed the Table, which is set to a Billy Joel tune that's supposed to help. But yeah. you know what? I haven't tried it. Yet. So there you go. <laughs> no. <laughs> what does the following sentence represent? Richard of York goes battling in vain. Is it A, the colours of the rainbow, B, the primary and secondary colours, or C, the order of English and British royal houses or dynasties? Oh, I think that's the one that kids get taught at primary school. So it's Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, uh -huh. the colours of the rainbow. I can see a rainbow. Yeah, the answer is A. It helps one remember the order of colours in a rainbow. Richard, red, of, which is orange, York is yellow, yellow goes, green, green, battling, blue, blue I, indigo. N, indigo, and V, violet. violet. The primary colours are red, yellow and blue, 
and the secondary colours are orange, green and violet. And the order of the British royal houses or dynasty is remembered in the following way. There we go on. No plan like yours to study history wisely. No plan like yours to study history wisely. Norman, Plantagenet, Lancaster, York, Tudor, Stuart, Hanover and Windsor. Windsor. No plan like yours to study history wisely. Norman, Plantagenet, Lancaster, York, Tudor, Stuart, Hanover and Windsor. That's hmm. nice, isn't it? That's that's nice. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Will a jolly man make a jolly visitor? Is an aid to memorising what? A. The first eight presidents of the United States. B. The first eight articles of the Constitution. Or C. The first eight major baseball teams in the uh. USA. I'm going to have to guess at this one. I'm going to have to guess. So what have we got? Um, presidents, baseball teams, what was the other one? Uh, or uh, the first eight articles of the Constitution. Mm, because the Second Amendment is the right to bear arms and that could be the A, but That's, I think the first no, the president is... Washington, and that could be the W in that. Um, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, the amendments to the Constitution, articles, the Consti articles of the, the Constitution. First eight articles of the Constitution. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Constitution. No, of course the not. The answer is A. President, the first eight presidents of uh, the United States. Uh, it is. Washington for Will, yes. Adams for A, Jefferson for Jolly, Monroe for Make, Adams for A, Jackson for Jolly, Van Buren as Visitor, and that's the first eight presidents. Uh, okay? Yeah. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Jefferson. Monroe, Adams again, Jackson, uh, and Van, Van Buren. Buren. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, is right, that a good way? Yeah. Will, uh, can you remember that one now? It's a handy one. <sighs> Will, a, Will jolly a jolly man make a, a jolly, jolly visitor? visitor. Mm. Okay, I think it's a good one for that. Uh, the first eight articles of the Constitution are remembered. Uh, uh, freedom of speech, the right to bear arms, arms protection yeah. from quartering troops in times of peace, unreasonable searches and seizures, protection of self-incrimination, and plead the fifth, Amendment, keep quiet, right to a speedy trial, and suits at common law trials, no excessive fine, cruelty, or punishment. That's those, okay? Now, may I have a large container of coffee? Question mark. Is a way to remember what? The order of prime numbers, the values of algebra, or the value of pi? Uh, I don't know. I should know who the first prime ministers were. No, prime numbers. Uh, did you the not order say? Of, I did. I was mis uh, the, the order of prime numbers. Prime numbers. So what have we got? Prime numbers? Value in algebra and value of pi. Uh, I don't think it's pi. Um, prime numbers or algebra. Well, algebra? No. Guess, total guess. No, the answer is C, 
the value of pi really? is represented in the sentence, may I have a large container of coffee, question mark. Because pi is, can you work this out? No. Three. Uh-huh. Point. One. Yeah. Yeah. Four. One. Five. Nine. Two. Seven. But. Can you not see where that is? No. May is three letters. Really? M-A-Y has three letters, which is three. Yeah. Uh, I is one. One. Half I is four. Half is four. Uh is one. Uh, large is five. Uh, uh-huh. Container is nine. Nine. And of two, coffee. Six. Plus the question mark. Six. Makes the number seven. You have to count the question mark. Oh, you have to count the question mark. That's so that what that kind of isn't the value of what pi kind of a, a mnemonic is that? That's, that's a great man. No mnemonic. No. May not I have a large container of coffee? You are counting the let the letters oh, in the words. No. May no, 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 no. Yes, it is. It's really good. I really like no, that. No, I'm one. not having that. That's not a good one. I think no. it's an excellent one. <laughs> You're just mad because you don't. I am. I got two wrong. <laughs> two wrong there out of the five. I'm not happy with that. May I have a large container of coffee? I mean, would Question it, mark. I was going to say, I mean, a large cup of coffee would make sense, but it wouldn't be the right number of letters. He has a container of coffee. Oh, no. well, have you seen the coffee that people walk down the street with? I, it's like a container. Outrageous. <laughs> I am disgusted with that mnemonic. Oh, I bet you lots of people out there will go, oh, that's brilliant. I'll be able oh, to bet they do. I bet you they do. <laughs> it's only you. <laughs> I enjoyed that wee show this time. What did you oh, think? I, I hope everybody enjoyed it and it was different. Yeah, it, it was a nice Varied selection. Varied enough anyway. It was a good varied selection. I really liked that. Today's stories, they came from the Vintage News. It turns out that one whose name I forgot. Uh, the Guardian, the BBC, the Irish News, the Newsletter and the Mail Online. So we put together a very eclectic selection of stories and quiz questions I think. Yeah. Hope it'll please all our listeners from all the four corners of the world. Please don't forget to pass us on. Uh, yes. To anybody, if, if you're in a community group, whether it's a church group or a community group or a youth group or uh, even if it's a care home or something. Anything at any all. Any at all. Where you think people might be interested in listening, please feel free to share it on your Facebook page or whatever social media you use. We'd be delighted. We would love to have a few more listeners and please subscribe yourself so that you don't miss a single episode. We will be back in October, October. when we'll ah. be moving towards Halloween. Christmas yes. toys already in the shop. Uh-huh. I noticed that in Tesco, so it was an end cap all covered in boxes of chocolates. I thought that just says Christmas is coming. It does. Uh-huh. Uh. It does. So in the meantime, uh, enjoy what nice weather you get for so, the beginning of autumn. Or if you're at the mm-hmm. far end of the world, it's your beginning of spring. It could indeed be. Yeah. So um, it's been lovely talking to you again. And we will speak to you again in October. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.